if you want to be recession proof, quarantine proof, bankruptcy proof, um, you know, um, competitors killing you proof, <laughs> then then you need to dance, react, respond, evolve um, to the market. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 274 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my guest, Rob Moore. So those of you who are regular listeners to the show will know that we've had Rob on the show before. He remains uh, an incredibly popular guest, produces two podcasts himself, The Disruptive Entrepreneur and Money. Now, Rob has got three world records for public speaking. He's authored nine books, including global bestseller Life Leverage, and owns, manages over 750 properties with his business partner. So Rob, a lot of you are going to know of from property side of things, and a number of you are going to know about Rob from being an entrepreneur and a podcaster. And I love chatting to Rob. I could listen to Rob forever. Um, I've been following him for a number of years. I've been up to his place in Peterborough um, and attended one of his events. I've met him, as I say, had had him on the show a couple of times. Uh, We recorded this live as a video and audio. um, And it's a really good listen. It's a really good listen. He was a self-made multimillionaire by the age of 30. risen to riches after being heavily in debt in his early 20s. He's retired and unretired countless times. Um, He continues to disrupt. He's got a great podcast. I love the Disruptive Entrepreneur. He does a number of episodes a week. He creates content at an unbelievable rate, gives great value. Um, If you're not following him, you need to be. Um, He's uh, very influential, um, incredibly philanthropic, and I'm really pleased to have got him on the show for a second time. There's a very limited number of guests we've had on twice. I think I can count them on one hand, and Rob is one of them. So I hope you are going to enjoy this episode as much as I did. We, We cover a bunch of things, including... Uh, the headline to this episode, um, that failure is the road to success, that you cannot succeed with just being successful. It doesn't work like that. So you've got to learn to embrace these failures to propel you forward. We dig into that and we talk about having to be decisive, being fast, fast, fast 
in the middle of a situation like the pandemic, you've got to make decisions pretty quickly if you want to move your business forward. So without further ado, let's start up Rob Moore. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Alex Chisnell here at the Festival of Enterprise. Uh, thank you all for joining us uh, once again for our live webinar today. We're now over 160 live webinars in the last 100 days, so I am expecting the, the Guinness World Record chap to, uh, to knock on the door. Um, I think, Rob, you've got a couple of Guinness World Records, haven't you, actually? Come to think of that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I broke the world record for the longest individual public speech of 47 and a half hours and then twice Jeez. broke the world record for the longest team speech um, where I did um, about a day and a half of the I think nearly five days we did as a team of four. The previous holders did like a team of 100 and we thought we'd go more hardcore. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably been broken now, but, you know, that's the nature of world records. And it was fun to do. And we raised a few hundred grand for charities doing it. Awesome. So, yeah, it's nice to say, isn't it? It's one of those things you tick off your list. Indeed. Yeah. Um, well, we, we are live now with Rob Moore. Um, a lot of you will know Rob um, for a number of different reasons, I suppose. Entrepreneurship, business, property as well. Um, number of books. I think you were up to nine last time I checked, Rob. Am I right? Uh, 16. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm well behind. I've got three more at the moment. <laughs> Reinventing yourself, um, re residual income, and opportunity that they're in transit. Or Some of my books are co-authored or I'm the ghost co-author of. So they Damn. don't all have my name on the front. Um, like I'm writing one with Gerald Ratner at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, yeah it's, it will be 19 by January. Um, I'm wow. going now July, so yeah. not, not starting any more podcasts as well, then are you? Because I know you got no, two podcasts. Been, yeah, yeah. Money and disruptive entrepreneur. Now I'm all right for the moment. I'll stick. Good. I won't twist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got loads of questions for you, Rob. I know you're just about to stream live on your page as well. Yeah, shall I do that now, and then we can do the Q and A? Yeah, go for it. Right, That'd be let's great. Do it. Hitting Jeez. the button. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and I am with Alex Chisnell, who is running the Festival of Enterprise. He's done something like 160 events in 100 days. He might be going for a world record for the most amount of events done. Let's wish him luck. Uh, and what we're doing today is we're doing a Q&A with me on enterprise, entrepreneurship, etc. Um, so I'll just let you say hi to Alex. Alex is here. If you can just see hey, everybody there. I'm in the garden. I've been doing a lot of lives and Q&As in the garden. So, Alex, look, thank you for welcoming me to your Festival of Enterprise. Uh, I am your humble servant, and I'm ready to take any questions you've got. Awesome. And is, is that the same garden where I've seen you working out in the gym, Rob, as well? Yes. Very good, very good. Um, okay, so questions um, from the audience today based around, like I say, entrepreneurship, business, podcasting, um, all sorts of things. So those of you who've been tuning in over the last 100 days know that we should have been at uh, Olympia in London back in April. Um, Boris announced some changes with regards to events, so we're hoping to be at the NEC and Olympia this October. Uh, I know you do a lot of events yourself, Rob, so my first question would be, have, have you missed them? Uh, yes, I've missed live events because 
what I love about live events is the energy uh, yeah. in the form of connecting with people, meeting new people, joint ventures created, partnerships created, um, you know, the, the feeling you get in a, a vibrant room with other entrepreneurs. Many of us entrepreneurs know at times it can be a lonely pursuit. Sometimes we can feel misunderstood that we're the only entrepreneur in our circle and they're all looking at us going, you're a weirdo. Um, <laughs> and then uh, adding to that, whilst Zooms, and of course it's a great thing you're doing here, Alex, with the Festival of Enterprise, you can't get the same energy, you can't get the same connection no. on a Zoom or a live event. What you can do is go global. There are upsides, um, and I've certainly enjoyed um, the, the change, we've um, created, I think, 12 new online programs in the last 12 weeks, almost one a week. We're actually twice as profitable, maybe more, on half the revenue. Um, and we've slashed our overheads by probably 60%. So um, there's been some upsides. But, yeah, I am missing live events. We had to cancel something like, um, what's a third of 850? So, what, 285 <laughs> event days because we mm. do about 850 a year. So, um, of course, I'm not involved in all of those. It's my company's progressive property and progressive success. But um, as well as missing them on a human level, missing them on a business level, I also think if you are in the events business, you'll know, you can get a more loyal customer and a greater lifetime client value when you spend time with them. Um, mm. But, yeah, so in many ways... I've missed live events, but of course, there's been equally balanced upsides that we've tried to see as well. Yeah, I was going to say, like education part of your business. Um, how have you adapted that? Did you bring everything online straight? Because we've got the property side of things as well with all those meetups, but also the education side. And I've been up to your, your offices in Peterborough there uh, for some of the courses. So how, how have you adapted that? I mean, you, you must have had pretty quick decision making to do. Yeah. So hmm. the, the, the word of the last four months in business has probably been pivot. And I thought about this a lot. And at the start, I thought, yeah, you know, we did pivot. We went from face-to-face -face events to online events very quickly. We created new, one new online course a week, whether it was our podcast online masterclass or our Amazon online masterclass, all of which were um, online versions of our face-to-face -face events. But if you think about it, it wasn't a 180-degree pivot because we were already running events. We just converted them from face-to-face -to, -face to online. So on the one hand, we reacted quickly to the market and we created products and services that people wanted and needed based on the changes in the market. But we were, we were already prepared for that. Now, we, I didn't know we were prepared for that, but we were already prepared for that because we already had the content. You know, We already had the vision and the mission. So um, probably a few weeks before lockdown, I was in the delusion stage. I don't know if anyone else is honest enough to say that, but there was a time <laughs> before the time. You know the day when we all knew it's all over. We are being quarantined. We are on lockdown. You know you run events. Well, you're not running any for the next three months. And when you run, mm. like more that when you run, what is it? Um, 75 events a month you know, 850 events a year. You really don't want to admit that they're all over. No, exactly. Then there was a day when it's like, no, Rob, this really is over. <laughs> um, and you're like, okay, shit. So when I go into panic mode, um, the only really way that, A, I can use that energy as a force for good and, B, keep myself sane 
is to go into deep planning, deep planning, deep planning. So yeah. um, for a few weeks before, I was getting up at three in the morning and just making plans, coming up with ideas, just trying to think, okay, what new business models, what changes in the business model, what's the new uh, market, what events could we test, what courses could we run, what ones are more globally scalable, what ones might work in the lockdown, what do people really need right now, what's the new opportunity? And I just kept, I think in some ways that's obviously a good thought process, but some of it was coming from fear. Mm. Um, and I, I probably did that for two weeks, coming up with a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E, a plan F and a plan G. Um, and then um, we just executed. And like I said, every week uh, we were creating at least one new online course. Now, we've probably done five online courses in the last decade, whereas we've done thousands of face-to-face courses. Um, and all of a sudden now we're creating one online course a week. And for us to do an online course... It would normally take six months. You've got to build the content, find the Mm. trainer, book the time out. You've got to do 12, 15 hours of content. You've got to edit it. You've got to make it look good. You've got to get all the online assets set up, blah, 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 payment gateway, all of this. Well, we were doing one a week because we were in fear mode. Um, Mm. But it turned out to be a great gift. And now we have 12 online courses that can serve people across the world that we didn't have 12 weeks ago. And how much of your audience was, uh, and I know your podcasts, probably up to nearly 200 countries now, um, but how, how much of your audience was, was UK-based? How much was, was global? And how much has that changed over the last 100 days or so, Rob? Yeah, 90% plus of our entire following, whether it's the 750,000 in total we have across our two main databases or all my social media following or all my podcasts, um, is more than 90% UK. Mm. Now, right now, it's not like 50-50, I'd say, um, you know, maybe we've gained an extra 5% maybe followers, but, you know, 5% of maybe what in total it might be 1.2, 1.5 million, 5% of that's a lot. Um, Mm. But, of course, now our our goal is to do more global training. So for many years before any of the business courses that we ran, we were running property courses because that's Mm. what we know and knew. Um, That's my upbringing in business. But the thing with property courses is they're not globally scalable because even investing in London versus Leeds, which is 100 miles, I think, north on the train in the same country is quite different. But London from Lisbon is Mm. even more different in a different continent. And then on the other side of the world, it's even more different again. So it's always been a problem for us to scale, scale globally. Um, But with a podcast course or a public speaking course or a marketing course or a sales course or an e-commerce course, they are globally scalable, applicable training programs. And so Mm. I I, I always had that in my vision to do that. But I guess we were doing well enough in the UK for it not to be urgent. Now, imagine imagine if UK had we were really struggling in the UK. What would I do? I would look further afield. So sometimes mm. that comfort is the enemy of your desire for scale or greatness or growth. Um, and also, because I was running 850 face-to-face training day events a year, um, my fear of launching online courses was that people then wouldn't come to our face-to-face courses. Yeah. They don't need to because they can watch yeah. it on a laptop. And so then we'd lose the face-to-face on it. So I wouldn't say I was trapped by fears and I wouldn't say that I was like comfortable or I was in this illusion But these beliefs based on doing well in the UK held me back from doing well globally. And therefore, Mm. in many regards, the lockdown was a great gift. Yeah. Uh, Tony says, uh, 
What was the trigger to get you out of delusion mode for the lockdown, Rob? Um, when someone told me with proof, uh, i.e. showed me, you know, a, um, uh, the BBC News website or, or Mark <laughs> said to me, no, Rob, this really is happening. Mark's my business partner. Yeah. The, no, the day that quarantine or lockdown was real um, was the day I, I came out of delusion mode. Now, by the way, de- let's say delusion was there, there was two stages to my delusion. Um, and actually, if you look at the pro, the um, process and progress of change, I think there's about five stages of change. And I think for everyone, there's a delusion stage. So I, mm. I don't, I'm not beating myself up about this. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know, did I? No one knew there was going to be a quarantine and a lockdown. It's just, I guess, the more paranoid people maybe thought, oh, it'll happen a bit quicker than maybe the optimists like, like me thought. <laughs> but there was two stages of my delusion. That stage one was, oh, it's not going to happen, don't worry about it. And stage two is, it's not going to happen, but I better worry about it in case it does. And so it was nice that I had some weeks to go from, shut up, don't worry about it, to, okay, everyone's talking about it. I don't think it's going to happen, but I better make some plans just in case. And mm. then the day that it's real is the delusion is completely gone. But by the time the delusion had went, I had about seven or eight backup plans. Now, when I say I, my team, you know, my team really... Um, we furloughed about two thirds of our workforce. So we had 95 in our, um, in one building that we own. We had 95 staff in there and we furloughed probably two thirds of them. Um, and the, the team that um, carried on working through this really stepped up and did great work. It's just, I guess I had to come up with the ideas at first or I had to lead the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of maybe answer that a little bit. Uh, Danny says, when you say we, how many people are on your team that actually built each course? So how many people you maybe have working on uh, changing that to an online model? Well, I mean, how many people were working on creating online courses? Probably three. But then we had about 35 who were working on the entire businesses in sales, in marketing, in delivery, et cetera. But actually on the physical courses, probably only three. Mm. Um, Maybe a couple more depending on, like, for example, I have a podcast agency and we have a a studio where we do live streams for podcasts and my YouTube channels and our webinars and our live stream events. And um, a few of the guys who run our agency sort of, they did their little pivot towards helping us with all the live stream events um, because we'd never used StreamYard before. Uh, we'd never simultaneously lived on five or six different platforms before. Um, there's a lot of firsts we hadn't done um, that we had to do really quickly. And of course, every time we were doing a, a, a day long summit or an evening webinar or something like that, um, we had to have a, a member running the tech and the AV sometimes too. So we were able, to, uh, many of our team members were able to adapt their role and evolve very quickly um, to be more useful. Um, and not, that's not that they weren't useful before, but what's the new use? So a lot of people who've struggled in the lockdown, I've been saying to them, um, you've just got to find the new opportunity. Where's the new value proposition? What do people yeah. want to need? What are the new pains and problems? Where can you create value? Um, and so we all had to pivot our own role a bit. And, you know, the people that probably lost out with, oh, that's not my job. And, oh, I don't do that. And, oh, I don't want to change and blah, 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 blah. Um, I spoke to someone who's a commentator for Sky Sports. Um, she's a good friend of mine. And she, there's a couple of massive names in commentary 
I won't say the sport because I don't want people to know the names because I really respect these guys, but um, they, their contracts weren't renewed. And she said one of the main, main reasons was these guys are old guard. So, mm. um, you know, maybe what, in their 60s? And she said all the technology and all the new stuff that Sky are bringing in, they weren't really on, on board with all that. They just wanted to sort of do it their old way. And I think if you want to evolve, disrupt, if you think, I think if you want to be recession proof, quarantine proof, bankruptcy proof, um, you know, um, competitors killing you proof, <laughs> then, then you need to dance, react, respond, evolve um, to the market. And f- it's, entrepreneurship is solving the new problem. Yeah, absolutely. Problem solving, 100%. Tony says, whilst implementing your your business pivot, did you change your decision-making processes? Good question, Tony. Yeah, faster, 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 faster. Don't worry if it's not perfect. Faster, 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 faster. Start now, get perfect later. (laughs) I love it. I can add to that. (laughs) But um, for when I started entrepreneurship, um, I was desperate to be successful quickly because I'd had a few years in the wilderness and I felt like I had something to prove. And I was known for being impatient and probably, I don't know, a little bit, I probably pushed people quite hard towards my vision. And then as we grew and we got staff, team, other leaders, managers, etc., I guess people talked me into being more patient and being less relentless and less persistent and belligerent, and to accept that things take time. And I always had an internal battle with that, because on the one hand, I I get that chronic impatience can damage, but I always felt that people, our team, myself, my managers, all of us, we could do more, and we could do more more quickly. And then as Moore's law, you know, the doubling of technology, um, I think it's every two years, I think the... um, the, the the I don't know the technical definition of Moore's law, but it's something to do with the capacity of a microchip kind of doubles its a, a capacity or ability every two years. Mm-hmm. There's this compounded momentum and velocity of technology um, and the network effect and interconnectivity and speed. Uh, and I really do believe you can um, become more successful more quickly. And I think you can decide more quickly. And I think you can... Um, go from alpha to beta to version one to version two to version three more quickly. You know, they used to say it takes 10, year to be, 10 years to be an overnight success, but mm. that kid Ryan, who's got that YouTube channel, pulled in 26 million at age seven, I think, or eight. Um, and I know his dad and, and other people would have helped him, but he's not even 10. So I guess what this lockdown gave me permission for myself to do again is to understand the value of speed. And, mm. and really own it and not let people talk me into being slower because I had a perfect excuse, which was, well, if we're not quick, we might be dead. It's the quick and the mm. dead, it's the quick and the dead. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, everyone worked at twice the speed. And, and, we, and we proved to each other and ourselves and myself what we could actually do, how much more we could do, how much more quickly we could do with only a small cost. Because, look, the faster you do things, often the more mistakes you make. But you can get to a certain speed where you do things quick, but you're... Um, cost of your mistakes are not, uh, they're not attritional. Um, you know, they're, they're small. Mm. Be quick or be dead. I'm sure that's an Iron Maiden song, isn't it? I don't know. That's, um, I'm more 90s, 2000s metal than I am. Um, what is Iron Maiden, 70s, 80s, is it? <laughs> yeah, I'm more 90s. Um, 
Yeah, Danny says 100%. You got to see everything as an opportunity. Um, spoke, spoke to you know, a whole bunch of people during lockdown and, and a number of them, um, likes of, and you'll know, like Al Barrett from Grenade, um, Piers Lenny, people like that were saying, I suppose the danger is you've got a lot of increased productivity with less staff. How does that change your attitudes when you're unfurloughing staff? And yeah, people have been kind of working under pressure and it's kind of, false reality but what what have you kind of thought about that in hindsight now that we're coming out the other side hopefully well um what the lockdown has given many business owners a chance to work out is were we lean or were we bloated Mm. is uh, is everyone needed are they in the right role um so those questions you should ask yourself all the time it's not disloyal to ask those questions when you really value your team members um, because, you know, we all need the ship to sail. If the ship sinks, we all go down with it. Mm. So I think they're good questions to ask. Um, and so what we've been doing very regularly, my MD, my business partner and I, is ask the question, who do we need to bring back? When do we need to bring, bring them back? Or how long do we need to keep them on furlough for for when their role becomes relevant again? And how much grace are we going to be given by the government on the furloughing because each month you have to pay more towards their furloughing mm. um, and then be honest if there's anyone who um, may need to move on just because things have changed and life changes so you just got to keep asking those questions and you've got to balance loyalty with not being too nostalgic um, but a lot of fear or blockages in our own mind of um, how we could lean up because we were trying to cut costs for a long time, but couldn't really couldn't really scratch the surface, and we were cutting a lot of things. But because the lockdown with the furloughing gave us an opportunity to do that, so I just think you've got to always ask: Are you that right balance between lean and leveraged, mm. um, and try not to get too nostalgic, and just try and work out um, what roles are required? And you don't have to let people go; you can move them into a new role. Yeah. Sometimes it is yeah. right for them to move on um, because, you know, nothing stays the same. If you're green, you'll grow. If you're ripe, you rot. I think Ray Kroc said that. <laughs> Good one. Um, and have you seen, like you said, managed to grow your following, launching the online courses, getting more of a, you know, a global audience? Um, I read that Acast had said uh, podcast listenership had gone up 20% in the UK, 10% globally. Have you, have you seen any reflections of that in, in either of your two podcasts, Rob? Well, in in the early um, couple or three weeks of the lockdown, um, I was putting out more content because I wanted to be more valuable to society and also for my own therapy because I was mm. like, oh. Um, and then all my, a lot of my clients and the people I mentor and a lot of my followers were really worried and I thought I had some solutions for them, solutions mm. I'd figured out or was figuring out. Um, yeah, sorry, remind me of the question. I don't know if you can hear someone's just started chainsawing a tree in the back. Oh, is that what it is? I can hear some buzzing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, following. Sorry. So, mm. yeah, we were up. The um, My video viewership was up 300% on social media at one point. Um, my downloads probably took a 20%, 30% increase. So, yeah, I found the same. Yeah. Mm. And, and given how many people you've, you've interviewed on, on your lives, on, on the podcast, etc., what's um, the most interesting conversation, the most interesting person you, you've, you've come into contact with over the last, say, 100 days or so? 
Well, we've been in lockdowns. So I haven't really come into contact with anyone. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I love JP Sears. I interviewed him for the second time on my podcast. He's the guy with the long ginger hair who does parodies, but he is kind of into um, entrepreneurship too. Um, we always have great conversations. He's a fascinating guy. He's got a great, unique brand. Um, but I, I haven't really touched a human being in, in 100 days, pretty much, other than <laughs> um, close circle. So um, people always ask me, you know, who's my favourite guest? Who, you know, who's been on my podcast? Uh, um, you know, if I could pick one, it's really hard because I've had so is. many yeah. really interesting people. I would say pound for pound, what everyone seemed to like and what I got a lot out of and who I got a lot out of. Probably say Barry Hearn, you know, yeah. head of snooker um, and and other sports, of course, and boxing. Um, really, really great guy. I, I, I um, went and hung out with Al Barra at his house for a day who, um, you know. Yes, yeah, also that. Yeah, he's a cool guy. That was just really fun. He's yeah. hilarious, yeah. Yeah. Um, What's Paula Radcliffe, Paula Radcliffe like? I saw you had her lovely, on lovely, she? yeah, yeah, lovely, wise, grounded, lovely. Mm. Um, but you know, I I intentionally interview a wide range of guests. I've interviewed many billionaires. I've interviewed um, fame. What the the most famous actress probably on Game of Thrones. I've interviewed um, people with the biggest businesses. In, in the UK or the world. I've interviewed David Icke. I've interviewed Katie Hopkins. I've interviewed <laughs> sports stars. I love the uh, variety. Um, mm. So when you say who's the most interesting guest, what niche? Yeah, um, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to box myself in. I don't want this, like, just business owners. So mm. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple of questions coming in again, so I won't hog the, uh, the opportunity. So Warren says, being an entrepreneur is often about making the right and quick decisions. How do you manage the vision amongst your team when you personally make unforeseen mistakes? Look, so um, I make mistakes all the time. I create a lot of chaos. I do things quickly. I'm an emotional guy. Um, I think if you've got the backing of your team, then they'll probably allow you um, some mistakes. Um, I think if you can fail fast, fail frequently and fail small, that's better than fa failing epically. Um, so I'd much rather make a small expense cost than go bust. And a small failure leads to success in the end. You absolutely cannot succeed your way to success. It's impossible. You cannot succeed your way to success. You have to fail your way to success. And you have to continue to fail your way to greater levels of success. I think um, if you own your failures uh, and I think if you're honest about them and you don't make people um, fear um, making mistakes um, and, you know, you balance your um, leadership and maybe your confidence with some humility, then I think you'll always be all right. Mm. Um, Tony uh, said, how would you describe your leadership style? Um, or shall I get Mark on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I'm a big picture thinker, uh, uh, good with ideas, usually good at energizing, empowering, inspiring, motivating, and whooping people up. Um, I am quite chaotic. I need my team to do the um, order part, i.e., clean up my mess. <laughs> um, I think my team. 
I think my team would probably say Rob is has a lot of new ideas. He's good at taking us into new horizons, disruptions, changes, reacting to the market. So we always feel like we'll you know, be able to have a future. Um, he's got energy and enthusiasm. Um, I think the downsides they would say to me is consistency is maybe not his strong point. He's probably a bit fast, probably a bit impatient. Um, and maybe a bit emotional. They would maybe be the downsides. But like you said, if you speak to my business partner, my MD, they may have a slightly different version. They might find more downsides than upsides. <laughs> um, brilliant. Well, last couple of questions, uh, everybody. Um, sure, Rob has got a, a busy day. And what, what's kept you sane during um, Lauren, during lockdown, Rob? I know you've got your decent-looking gym there in the garden, but uh, have, you, have you kept your routines that morning, afternoon, evening routines as well? I would say um, long walks exercise um the close people around me family and very close people they know who they are um my therapist and continuing to be able to add value to all my followers by upping all of my value to them i would say they're the five things that have kept me sane through the lockdown Mm. And are you um, looking forward to a holiday or are you you're staying in this country, taking a break? Yeah, I'm trying to use the intensity of the lockdown to get a little bit more focus on self-care mm. um, and focusing on those close people around me um, because there's been some great cost to my entrepreneurship and the amount of hustle I did in the lockdown. Um, and, you know, that's OK because that's the cycle of life. <laughs> and um, did you last question um, did you uh, watch a Liverpool game last night I know you're like me a Liverpool fan as well yeah so yes I did and uh, yeah I mean I obviously we already knew we'd won the league but um, yeah when you, saw, when you saw it finally happen it was a great game and um, yeah 30 years of her that's <laughs> <laughs> funny how that was said about England and actually it's about Liverpool so <laughs> yeah, but look, um, I'm not a gloater. It was our time this year. I think it's going to be challenging next year because I think Man City will be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's nice to... It's nice, isn't it? It's nice. I mean, I went to a couple of games this year. The Suarez season, I went to loads of games. I try and get to some more games, really, and enjoy the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, so last question. Here we go. We're on quarter past, but I'll let Danny have this one if you've got the time, Rob. What keeps you grounded? Um, the universal laws keep me grounded because the universal laws, I believe, state that when you get pride or ego or hubris or overconfidence, you will be thrown a challenge to humiliate and ground and level and balance you. Just like when you're overly down or struggling, it will throw you something um, to support you. Too much challenge, you'll be given support. Too much support, you'll be given challenge. Um, and uh, I suppose age... Um, uh, uh, trying to do good and add value and do the right thing. The fact that the more you grow, the more you realise there's left to grow. Um, you know, the, le the next level you go to, you all it does is open a higher level. Mm. Um, so, yeah, because I am who I am, I tend to create quite a lot of chaos and often there's humility in that chaos um, as a way of keeping me grounded because I'm naturally a guy that floats up into the clouds. Mm. Um, because that's just my nature.
Yeah, well, look, Rob, uh, love following you on social media. Um, love coming up to your place in Peter before as well. So um, keep on doing what you're doing. Appreciate you taking the time out today to, to join us and answer, answer the question. So thank you very much, buddy. My pleasure, Alex. Thanks, everyone. Take it easy now. Bye, Rob. Cheers. Bye. So how about that? As I say, I've only had a handful of people on this show who've made it to uh, two appearances on the show, uh, the likes of Piers Linney uh, being one of them, um, Jamal Easel being another one, and now uh, Piers Linney as well. So as always, chatting to Rob, really enjoyable Um very likable character. Um, had the pleasure, like I say, of, of meeting him in person, going up to uh, his place in Peterborough for, for a long weekend uh, event that he hosted. And he tells it like it is. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, he's also a Metallica fan, which gets a massive tick in the box, in my opinion. And a number of things I could talk about here. Uh, totally agree with him, you know, needing to make fast decisions in the middle of a fast-moving situation like the pandemic. You can't hang around. Um, I think you've got to empower people within your team to make decisions as well, whether it's the right one or the wrong one. It's far easier to make a decision sometimes than, than I don't know, for want of a better term, dick around uh, not making a decision, being indecisive. Far better to just make a decision. If it's the wrong one, move on, make another decision. Okay, learn from it. Um, and that leads us on to failure uh, being the road to success, that you cannot succeed without just being successful. Um, I agree. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. you 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 got to learn to embrace those failures because they will be the biggest learning curves, the biggest lessons in life that you have that enable you to move forward. Um, I'm just coming up to 11 years as an entrepreneur in business. And, you know, I've had more failures than successes at the time. When I look back and I look at how I, how I spoke about them, I would definitely you know, had it as a bit of badge of shame. I was afraid to talk about it, afraid to talk about failure. I look at it as a black mark. I was embarrassed, but you shouldn't be. And it's far better to be able to talk about those failures, learn the lessons. If you don't learn the lessons, then you're going to have more failures uh, than successes. And will you ever succeed? It's tough if you don't learn those lessons. But for me, um, I've seen those patterns. I recognize those patterns happening now. Um, and they're usually for me not maintaining um, a close eye on one, the finances of the business, the cash flow, um, which is always the biggest failure rate amongst uh, startups. And the second one is not keeping um, a close eye enough on on my team. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a huge believer in empowering them, but you know, maintaining uh, regular two-way conversation with them, asking for their opinions uh, is key, I think, as well. Um, and I hope you agree. Look, I hope you get, it might sound bizarre, but I hope you have failures and you learn from those and then you have the successes. And as we always say, you know, on this show, got so many examples. There are no easy, quick routes to success. There are no silver bullets. It's through trying, trying again and repeatedly trying uh, until you get it 
right. And it takes a long, longer time than you ever think when you're starting out. Uh, but those who persevere, those who are determined, uh, those who are consistent will succeed. Rob's a great example of that. Um, very grateful for, for getting him on the show. And um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.